We are creating a platform for those who are curious, one that tells the story from the artist's perspective. Moments in time captured from the innovators who are reshaping dance, music, theater, and the visual arts. This is the Working Artist Project. Today's guest is a pillar of strength, courage, and integrity. Mimi Jones is a native New Yorker with a quirky sense of humor that vibrates tenaciously through her instrument of choice, the bass. The Black woman is an originator, so people may forget where stuff comes from. I look at Serena Williams or like, you know, just people who have a lot of power and some of those um, runners in the Olympics and stuff like that. And it's, it's, it's just amazing. It's amazing what the black um, body can do. And, and, and even as far as inventions that have been made throughout time. And, you know, I mean, you could be born in, you know, in the projects, but you could be like the smartest person ever. So I don't know. I'm very proud right now in my life and it took me a long time to get right here you are listening to the working artist project i want to get into i want to talk about choices in life okay so what what is the hardest choice that you've ever had to make in your life up to this point mm-hmm. You know, this, so this isn't like a, this isn't like a life and death choice. I, I I did think of one that was kind of like wow, you know, I didn't make that choice. Um, but this one I'm going to tell you is is not so. It's it's not like, Ugh, but it was hard. Okay. So I was on a um, pop tour. I was making a lot of money. I was in Italy with this um amazing singer songwriter but he had gotten so big he was like the sting of italy you know and his name was pino daniele okay and um i went i I was invited by a good friend of mine she had put together a group and it included a drummer myself so it was a it was kind of a power trio and actually that i think that's what she was calling it and um you know so at some point, some altercation happened, and I realized that um, when all of that was going on, now mind you, this tour is like we're playing for like thirty thousand people. Right. Wow. It's not like it's like when you get off stage, you gotta get in the limo, and they gotta move fast because right people are gonna mob them and us and stuff. So it it was like high end, everything, the hotels everything, the food, you know, um, and, but at some point I was so unhappy because I was watching, there was so much chaos going on at a certain point. I just didn't want to be a part. Like I, I made a conscious decision that I would always choose my happiness over materialistic things. And I actually kind of left the band. I mean, right around that time, like nine um, eleven happened. We went to Bermuda on September tenth. Okay. And so September eleventh happened. So we got stuck, and then I actually didn't even couldn't get my base on my clothes for like months after that. And wow. they continued touring. 
But yeah. after that, um, I was asked to come back and I said no. And I don't know if in my career that was like the best move to make, but I knew I didn't want to be around negative energy because I could feel like if you know yourself, you have to know yourself, what you could tolerate, and what you can't. And um, I kind of like left that and went back to then having to rebuild myself from just like almost nothing, hmm. you know, and um, it, it, that was a real hard time. But I'm glad I did it because now I'm standing on my own legs. The other one that was kind of like just kind of in my head, there was a point where I chose not um, having a, I guess, quote unquote, normal life with, uh, you know, going to have a baby and, you know, blah, 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 to actually making this music. You know, and, and as a guy, that might not be a big thing, but as a woman, mm-hmm. it kind of is. Okay. Um, you know, to to making the music first, making the music my child, to sacrificing. And at, at this day, I don't have any children. And that's something that I'm like, oh, wish I kind of had one. But I, I, I couldn't figure out how to do both. Gotcha. You. you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, sorry to the guy who maybe wanted to uh, <laughs> provide a normal life because <laughs> I know now my life is crazy. So, I mean, one day I said, I'm never, bo- never bored. You know, one of the most difficult things that for me, at least that I've learned so far is in life is to end relationships or business relationships or any kind of relationship when it needs to end. And you, yeah. and you had the courage and integrity to do that. And so, you know, I think people will find like maybe you're in the wrong job or maybe the gig isn't quite right for you, but you got bills. But you, but the thing is, yeah, just end it because something else will present itself. Right. Absolutely. You know, I had some, um, some questions from my, my listeners. They Mm -hmm. hit me up in one question was like, what, what are your experiences as a native New Yorker with deep community ties in a rapidly changing city? of interlopers whoa i was kind of deep <laughs> like damn okay so right interlopers is such an aggressive word i know that's like whoa <laughs> well i mean the city has always been since since i was a child i mean I, that's part of the reason why i loved the city so much growing up and chose to go to college um at manhattan school of music because you never knew what you were going to get or who you were going to see. It was just so integrated. And I remember wanting to go to school downtown. I, you know, I begged my mom, can I audition for LaGuardia, please? Because I wanted to see other cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to experience just the way other people see it. And then when you add the factor of like, I guess, uh, interlopers, <laughs> um, because everybody brings a different thing. So the city becomes this big soup pot, you know, this like mixture of flavors and sounds and smells and languages. And it could be like one inch sitting next to you on a train, you know. Um, so I kind of, I, I embrace just in general, um, you know, people coming in from other places. I, I have to say that at some point, you know, I did feel some kind of way um, because some 
you know, different people's perspectives is different. It's it's like some people, like, I grew up in the hood, basically, in the South Bronx. So I always saw the city from sort of like one angle and thinking of it as, wow, you know, there's downtown. We're going to go downtown to visit. But then some, you know, people that I got to know actually lived downtown. You know, this is like my small mind thinking when I was younger. And it was like, wow, how can people live downtown? That's where people go to work. That's where people, you know, that's where the museums are. You know, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's like a whole culture shock that happens when you, you, you know, you start to see it from other people's perspectives. And, um, you know, now, of course, I'm like, okay, you could be anywhere. And then especially like, you know, getting out of the the country, that whole thing just changes. But it's interesting to see people here and then to follow where they come from, where their roots are. You know, like Mm -hmm. you may see an Indian man here or an African um, woman and you think, oh, Africa. But then you get there and you realize, oh, wow, they're like, Africa isn't just like one thing. It's, <laughs> it's so many countries and languages and stuff and just different influences and stuff. So it, it's a lot for me. It's a lot of fun. And it's been one of the, one of the things that I like about New York City. Yeah. So I guess you, you, you wouldn't say that you were like, uh, you, you know, uh, like feeling any kind of pressure of gentrification coming from where you were. You were more coming from the perspective of uh, of exploration and like being exposed to multicultural um, situations for the most part um growing up and as a sort of young adult to maybe in my mid-30s which is um i would say probably the time because right now i'm 45 so let's say like 10 years ago i did go through i'm not even going front i went through a shock okay because um Brooklyn just got taken and it's not the same. Actually, you know what? It didn't start there. It started in Harlem. When because so I was around around the time when um most of the guys that I dated were drug dealers. Oh wow. You know what I mean? It's like okay. New Jack City time. Oh, right. Damn. That was like the thing. <laughs> okay. And, you know what I'm saying? And just to keep it real. Yeah. So crack was delivered to Harlem. And that then started a whole rapid rapid um, cycle and change. And then you would, in Brooklyn, well, well, actually in Harlem, I used to work on 125th Street in this place called The Mart, The Mart 125, and you'd see all the vendors outside. Like if you walk down 125th Street, they were, there were um, vendors from like, um, different parts of Africa and you could get your oils and your incense and your t-shirts and you know the b-boys and hip-hop and this it was so much going on in jazz and then the African drummers the African Americans who um, embraced their um, heritage and stuff and they had the drum circles I mean it, it was a lot going on and it was so much fun so they um, at some point they got rid of that and they made all of the um, the Africans go to 116th Street. So that was a clear sign that something was happening. And mm-hmm. then you started to see the giant tour buses kind of coming through. 
And it wasn't like you would ever see a white person on the ground. They would be on the top of that tour bus and kind of like looking, <laughs> you know, you know, like spectating like yeah. we were a little like animals. That was weird. Yeah. And then the next weird thing was, so I was getting called for a lot of gigs at these um, kind of supper clubs and brunch places and those same tour buses, that's where they would land. And so, you know, people would come in to see the jazz, but it was again, not like, oh, I'm a jazz lover, but more like I'm watching the black people. Oh, wow, they eat chicken. They really do like watermelon. Let's try this. You know, some uh, lemonade with our... So that that was something. And then, okay, just to skip ahead, then that's when Brooklyn, because that was around the time of, um, you know, Spike Lee. She's got to have a jungle fever, all that stuff. So Brooklyn was happening, and it also had the African Street Festival. It just, it was so... It was very, very black, if if I could just keep it, you know, real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at some point, police officers started making um, people go in like there was a curfew. And then you started seeing cops on the beat, which you never saw that before. They wouldn't get out their cars before, but now they were walking. Hmm. So I kind of, you know, throughout, I would say the last 10, 15 years, watched that transpire and then some of my friends had to move out of Brooklyn or move deeper into Brooklyn because you know they lived in um Fort Greene and those areas that die and you know that the rents went up like astronomically like it went from just having an apartment I don't know that was like 750 to a thousand to like 2500 wow you know So that did bother me. I'm not going to front, you know, and then to, to then know that they couldn't, you know, we weren't a part of the plan, you know, as an African American that just didn't feel right. Right. So, you know, or just the status you were on, if we want to not go into race and keep it at like, if you didn't have a lot of money, (laughs) you couldn't stay there. Right. You know, so yeah, those, those things do, you know, kind of, get on my nerves and I, I wish that, you know, when the Starbucks comes in or when um, a new stadium gets built or something like that, it takes into consideration the people who lived there before. You play the bass. We haven't said that yet. <laughs> <laughs> How did that come about? Just playing the bass and what is that like playing a bass in a city and dealing with that? Wow. Well, <laughs> You said in the city, so that just that just reminded me of when I kind of first started uh, transporting my base. Of course, I didn't have a car. I was 17, and I had to get around. I had to get to Jazzmobile on Saturdays, and I had to get to uh, college and uh, up on the hill, Manhattan School of Music. And I just remember I didn't have a wheel. So I had to basically, like, carry it on my back. Damn, I'd be always on the bus, like, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. It was so <laughs> awkward. So that that has to tell you that, like, I really, really adore this instrument. I mean, I always, I always tell people, I feel like, you know, the instrument picked me mm-hmm. and not the other way around because you, you have to love it. At the time, I was uh, dating Myron Walden. And um, he's a great saxophonist. 
and he used to help me carry it. So I'm giving him props today. Okay. Thanks, Mark. Okay. He's a, he's um, a gentleman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whenever we were together, you okay. know, or we I'd say, okay, you, you carried the first, you know, 10 blocks <laughs> and I'll get the other two. Oh, no. That's terrible. <laughs> but I mean, he wasn't always with me. So. Okay. Right. <laughs> and I had to carry a sack of so, Oh, okay. Well, that's, 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 you know. that's not an equal trade off, but. No, it's not. Yeah. But, you know. So, what kind of but, sacrifices um, have you had to make? Just, just to continue to play um, your instrument. Wow. Well, one of the things about bass, if um, you know, if you you've ever had to purchase one or maintain one, it's it's a rather expensive instrument. So just between like having to change the strings out or get it repaired, or if you have to buy one, which I've ever, I've, I actually was gifted two bases in my life and that was a determining factor that was like okay this is really what you're supposed to do right um but it can be really expensive so i had to be a broke musician you know while a lot of my friends um you know had jobs i was in the practice room because you have to shed so it's not even like you couldn't get us you know a side job so right. i just remember being really hungry in college <laughs> i'm not gonna lie and my parents you know they were like well we sent your brother to usc and your little sister's in a private school so that meant i had to get a scholarship i had to figure that out you know for whatever i was trying to go for and i i was definitely blessed uh by the great late milton hinton um, great basis, um, that he, man, he used to sing and play and slap the bass. He, I, I don't even remember where, when he was born, but he, he came out like he was definitely during the Harlem Renaissance as a kid and right, like, right, right. or, or maybe as a, a, a young adult, you know, he played with Jackie Gleason, like that tells you like from the honeymooners that he's, you know, pretty up there. Right. And um, he definitely gave me scholarship money to help me um, to do different things, whether it was go to summer jazz camp, wow. um, jazz in July. And I got to study with Max Roach and, you know, all these amazing people. Also, um, the great Lyle Atkinson was one of my first teachers and he gave me my Juzak bass, my first real wood bass. OK. And I still have it. And along with like just endless lessons of life and music and um, Linda McKnight, she uh, helped me to get through my audition at Manhattan school of music and get that scholarship. Okay. Um, nice. So, and Linda was a class, it is a classical basis. So she was responsible, responsible for me, like really knowing how to use bow technique and stuff like that. And so with all that said, I mean, you just have to, it, it, it humbled me, mm-hmm. <laughs> literally, because there was really no more money to go around looking cute or like, you know, <laughs> eat. Right. I remember I used to eat bagels and uh, I think it was called smart food popcorn. That was like my thing. Oh, no. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, so you got to do what you got to do. So. do want get, to get into um, your previous release, which is called Feet in the Mud. And if mm-hmm. it's cool with you, I'll play 
the title track, Feet in the Mud. Is that cool? Oh, yeah. All right, we're going to listen to it now. What does that mean, feet in the mud? <laughs> well, actually, I kind of um, I borrowed the name for my album. Uh, my husband, Luis Perdomo, uh, pianist, composer, he wrote, you know, we always ask each other, can you write a song for the album? Um, and so he wrote the song called Feet in the Mud. And he said that it. Uh, he was inspired he was at a festival somewhere in France and they got rained out, but they allowed them to continue playing. And they, they looked up after a few minutes and people didn't care that it was raining. They were dancing (laughs) and getting all wet and they had their shoes off and they ended up with like muddy feet, but they were so happy to be out there and excited about the music. They kept going. So, he, um, you know, he snapshot that when he wrote, when he was um, thinking about it. And then I liked the title. Um, I, I was really happy to get the song. Um, although, you know, since he's my husband, I had to give him a hard time. Like, can we change the ending? <laughs> you know? He's like, oh, God. But um, I, I like the idea of it in terms of like throughout history, because I, I decided that this album would be a dedication to people who had made big, large contributions to to the world and in our history, which in um, turn inspires me. And so um, Wayne Shorter is one of those people, uh, the great Bertha Hope, pianist. For those of you who don't know her, she's still alive and well and playing, but she's like, she turned 80 this year. Um, we're actually doing a documentary on her and, um, uh, Thelonious Monk, Mingus, um, the list kind of goes on. Um, there's a song called American and it's about different Americans. Um, as far as like, uh, the pilgrims who set foot here, the Indians who were here already, and then the Africans who were brought over and just talking about the land and how important it is. Um, I'll send that track to you later if you want to hear it. Okay. But um, so the album is dedicated in these different ways to different people. And um, 
that the feet in the mud is literally like getting down and dirty. So getting into the earth, it's not even, you know, I mean, it is soil, you know, and it could be think it could be thought of as like getting like in it, you know, getting your hands dirty, but it's also the earth. So it's like precious, right? You know, there's so much in soil and dirt. And so, and making a difference in um, manifesting something with your hands or your ideas and taking a dream to reality, reality kind of thing. And all of those people have, have done that for me in some kind of way. So that's dope, man. That's dope. Yeah. It sounds great. I like it. It's real funky. I was like, yeah, this is nice. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I want. We gotta play it sometime. Yeah, let's play it. <laughs> I'm down. I I, I want to tie that into to what's happening now. That just what happened these last few this last week, um, mm-hmm. with the with uh, Charlottesville and then the remarks from our president and wow. how how that ties into uh, your project Dome and right and how how right. how are you guys? First of all, I want you to tell my audience what Dome is, and then tell us how you're uh, using music to, to heal and take uh, the country and the, the world in a different direction. Right. Well, thank you so much for, you know, looking that up. And it's called the Dome Experience. And the Dome, Dome actually is an acronym for Dance, Orchestration, Media, and Environment. And basically our goal is to bring in an awareness you know, without um, driving it in people's heads, like they want to run away, but more embracing their spirits and trying to inspire them to, uh, uh, first of all, become aware of what's happening in our world and society and dealing with the earth and, you know, nature and things going on, and then try to figure how we can make a difference and uplift and uh, become more vocal about things um, so the world can become a better place. Um, My partner and I, Arco Edith Sandoval, one thing that we're working on right now is trying to get, um, trying to figure out how we will become a non-for-profit because we need um, support. And it's so funny, like there's, there's so much red tape to, when money becomes involved and like who your sponsors are and like what you can say. And it's, we're, we have to be very sensitive about it because, you know, whereas some people might be like, Oh, we want to give you money. You're going to save the dolphins. But then those same people might be people who love guns. You know what I mean? So they're like, Oh no, we can't, we can't give you money because, you know, so it's, it's a really interesting um, subject because we are trying to be vocal on a lot of different topics. It's not just save the whales, but right. maybe, you know, save uh, children from becoming incarcerated mm-hmm. for, for dumb, you know, dumb stuff. I don't know if I can curse on this. So you I can curse. curse. <laughs> I'm curse. such a pirate. Ah. <laughs> you could curse. It's cool. Okay. For, for dumb shit, going to jail for dumb shit. Um, we're right now trying to, you know, um, uh, pair up with actually a, a guy that I grew up with. Um, his name is Five, 
and he went to jail for something really stupid. It, he, first of all, um, he didn't do whatever the thing was. And then the amount of years that they gave him was like, it was like 12 years. And he didn't even do it. So he was misrepresented when they found out, because finally the truth came out 12 years later. Hmm. And he, um, they gave him a bus ticket and said, oh, we're sorry. You can go. Wow. So we're trying to stop stuff like that from happening. And how do you do that? You know, there has to be legitimate programs, you know, that are seen. It's not just like, oh, we're an organization. We get money and we teach kids. That's not quite it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're trying to take the time to really research to figure out whatever topic is, whatever task that we take on, that we can see it through to really, really make that change. And as for um, where we are right now in the world, it's it's insane. This is, I mean, if it if the top, if your representative of your country, I mean, you know, he, not that he's next to God, but he is the one who speaks for where we're going to be and what we're going to do, and you know, keeping checks and balances. If that's off, I mean. It's just like everything is haywire. Anything goes right now. Right. Anybody can walk up to anybody, say, or believe in their mind that they can even do something and hurt somebody. And that's what transpired. You know, there's there's no if our if our leader is is crazy. I, I mean, honestly, I, I think something is mentally off. No, seriously. I think it's beyond just like, uh, you know, there's an attitude and, you know, and everything. Yeah. No, I think I think something's something's up. If you follow the tweets, if you just see how, you know, it sounds like a crazy person. Yeah. Well, and he's, um, he's like probably 72 or something. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's just, you know, whatever. I don't care. It's my show. I think he's just a crazy ass old white man. Like, you know, yeah. like I'm from Mississippi, so I'm just like, oh, yeah, that right. sounds like the dude from down the block. Like, you know, right. Like, no, he is. He is with a with an expensive designer suit on. Right. You know, I mean, even from from his campaign, just like saying, you know, being a hypocrite about like, you know, where, where his clothes are made and then lying. And then, I mean, everything is a lie. Right. Everything. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so of course this of course that's gonna happen, you know. And it what else? I mean it's just so off. So we're organizations like Dawn. So we're not the only one. I mean we're we're definitely trying to use the um, music and the the arts to tap into people's senses because we feel like that has a big impact. On people, people love the arts and they love music. You know, that that influence that's a big influence. That's how you um, can tell. You know, to like, you know, like the rappers used to kind of like get the whole society to think a certain way just by like a hit song. Right. You know what I mean. Right. And, the, the, and it could be stupid too. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to, to ask you about self discovery and what's your process is and what your process was to self-discovery to like just really um honing in to to your inner being 
It's interesting you uh, say that now because I feel like right now, uh, once again, self-discovering. I feel like definitely, um, specifically jazz musicians Mm -hmm. and then, you know, branching off from there. I mean, it could be a classical musician, but in in a different way, it could be, could be any musician, but definitely in jazz, you have to keep, uh, reinventing. I mean, it's, it's even almost to the, to the minute because you, you played that solo already. Right. So you may not even get to like, it's not like, you know, you're going to, people expect you, you have to raise, how can I say that? Um, from moment to moment you're creating and mm. you're rebuilding. Right. Um, so that's how small, short a time it could be. But then there's also, and I mean, this goes for any artist, musician, dancers, you know, whatever you need time to re up and rebuild and, um, refresh and, um, reinvent yourself. And right now I feel like, that's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually um, not in a forced way, um, but but becoming more aware about my health. Okay. Um, a lot of people that I know have either passed, transitioned, or they are um, have gotten sick for one thing or another. I, I mean, I guess that's just what happens. And it seems in our society now that that can actually happen younger and younger. Right. It's not just like, oh, he's old. You know? right. <laughs> it's like, so I'm really focusing on my health right now, which is not just the physical, but it's also the mental and the spiritual. Because um, if your mental is not intact, um, it could send you off onto a really bad tangent. You know, our imaginations, <laughs> they can run wild. And, you know, next thing you know, you're you're just like in in dark land, you know. Yeah. Um, and I don't and I don't want to be affected, you know. Like, cause for musicians to keep it real, we we work and sometimes we don't work. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. sometimes we're like the next best thing, and then sometimes in that same next moment, it's like who who are you? <laughs> so right, you know, it's important not to allow yourself to be um, defined by how society sees you or like, you know, what you're doing now or what you had on or who you were playing with. Because if you were playing with this person and then all of a sudden they switched up, does that mean you ain't shit now? No. Right. Right. So in our minds, we have to be clear about that goal. The reason why we started, the reason why I was carrying that base when I was 17 years old, you know, 10 blocks to the train. There was something that made me do that. Mm-hmm. So I've, I, I realized it's, it's kind of a cycle, you know, like I'll be out a lot and very busy and talking to a lot of people and kind of like um, exuding energy, putting energy out. And then there's a certain time when it gets quiet or it needs to get quiet for me. And then I'm in and I'm rebuilding. Right. So I feel like I'm in that stage right now. And with that said, um, you know, I had put out an album last year and I would like to put something out next year. So in order to do that, um, along with becoming more quiet, I'm working on a new project. And um, 
I'm throwing a couple of titles around for it, but um, uh, I'm 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 just at that place where I you know I have a few gigs coming up, but I think I'm right now I'm just really really focusing on what the next message is that I'm supposed to say, you know, like what's next coming through this vessel of myself. You are listening to The Working Artist Project with Darian Douglas and Mimi Jones. This is this question is kind kind of heavy, but like, what does it mean to be a woman of color in 2017? Wow. Well, to be a woman of color, one thing that I have stepped into my shoes is I feel like we are the mothers of the earth. You know, uh, without uh, fail, it it kind of like it comes back to the black woman, you know, and, um, just the strength that, um, she's had to have in order to keep things moving forward, no matter what. And, um, you know, that's not to, um, downplay the role of the male, you know, but you did ask me about being a black woman. So right, right. talking about that, um, but definitely, um, you know, just embracing that beauty because it's kind of like a thankless position. A lot of times you're invisible. You know, people don't see you because um, hmm. you're it's, it's interesting. It's like they see you and they think you're beautiful, but you're not um, you're not publicly. Um, what is that word? Uh, loved. It's not like you see on billboard billboards all over the place right you know chocolate women just doing their thing and looking all like you you just don't see that a lot and you'll see a lot of um women working hard a lot of women with the children a lot of women you know just giving 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 pumping out and um i i'm really just trying to um embrace myself and to understand you know that there's like a there's like a stigma um, in the world, but then there's the truth. Hmm. And um, to, to just like really know that um, I'm powerful, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And to understand what those powers are and don't be afraid of them. Don't um, because someone might be intimidated. Their reaction to me might be a certain thing. You know, um, I get a lot of that. Um and I hear a lot of that coming from other women in the world oh, wow. and right, right here in the city, you know, hmm. um, just, uh, from their jobs, you know, from their peers, from their bosses or whatever. Um, if you're the token, you know, all of that stuff still exists. Right. And, um, there's definitely not enough, um, black women is, uh, doing what we do. Um, there needs to be more. And so that leads me to believe that there's a disconnect somewhere in the system when 
um, children are learning how to play and following through. I mean, because there is that that there there also is the factor of just being a woman. Period. You have to make so, sort of a choice right. that is kind of non-feminine in a sense. Although you know it it is all feminine, but in this society, you know, where you're gonna be your own leader and you're gonna go do this music, and it's definitely still a boys' club. You know, the fact of um. It doesn't happen to me as much because I know a lot of people just from being in it so long, Mm -hmm. but I definitely see it happening to my younger peers um, where, or depending on the instrument that you play and uh, where they're not respected. Right. And it could be a subtle, just a subtle thing where in some cases the person doesn't even realize that they're, they're being, um, I guess the word is uh, sexist. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And it could be another woman too. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, it could be like you're not um, hired. You, your name doesn't come up in the in the pool of being hired mm. um, because oh, I I didn't even think of you. I don't know. I don't know why. And it's just guys, you know. It's like or like I I just um I went as a wife. <laughs> I joined uh, Louise at the Heineken Jazz Festival last year. And when it was all over, because we were hanging backstage with everyone, I went to the guy and I was like, where are the women? Right. <laughs> he got all nervous and sweating. And he's just like, well, I've had plenty of women. There's Terry Lynn Carrington and I had Jerry Allen and I said, you know, right. like all the popular ones. Of course. All about like five. Yeah. But, I mean, it's a festival that happens every year. I'm like, this year, you, I only saw one woman on your stage the whole festival. And she was Danilo's wife. Wow. So that almost doesn't count because she was in his band. You know, like what you didn't. So people, you know, it's like nat- natural sometimes for people to just not even. That's not really. And they don't mean it. Mm-hmm. It's just a way. It's just the way we think, you know. If a guy sees a pretty woman, he's just he's gonna react. He's not gonna think like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't approach her the same way because she is the, you know, pianist or vocalist. You know, maybe I should just see her as that. Or so there's the you know there's like these relationships that is like you don't want to beat guys up for like saying "Ooh, nice legs but <laughs> it might not be the right thing to say when you're about to count the song off. right you know it's just kind of you Fuck, know man. like if if i could just lick your toes oh it's God. just kind of like i'm in my bass solo right now that's kind of not you know mm. you're distracting right that's like a real story damn I say who said that but like no stop yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, stop. Up. So, I mean, that's the general woman thing. But, right. you know, the black woman thing, that's, that's. I, I would say, like, right now, it's just about me just, like, just trying to know my power and my place and not being afraid mm-hmm. of that.
last question. I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. Oh, shoot. Uh, yeah, I'm nervous. <laughs> <laughs> what are the three things you're most thankful for? Wow. Well, I'm most, I'm very, very thankful for my family. Um, without them, I couldn't even have done any of this. Um, they got my back. Um, and I'll say friend, friends and family. So that's like one. Because family could just, it doesn't have to be blood. It's also like, you know. And um, I'm really thankful for um, every morning having another opportunity to do something better or like to have life. You know, thankful for the um, the air that God's given me and the life that he blew into my body. And then I'm really thankful, even though sometimes I'm like, ah, you know, that I chose to, to be a musician. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's not easy. I know, I know you know that, but just, just for the <laughs> listeners, this shit is hard, man. Yeah. So every other day you're like, why did I choose this? Ah. Right. Yeah. You know, but I'm really happy that I'm doing it. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I, if I could change some stuff, I'm not going to lie. There'd be some decisions that maybe I would have went left instead of right. But just overall, you know, I appreciate being able to travel for free and be respected and love something that I do, you know. So yeah. I'm really happy I chose to be a musician. Dope. Yo, thanks for coming on the Working Artist Project. And uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, thank you, Darius. <laughs> this is awesome. Keep going. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Working Artist Project. Before you go, I'd like you to do a few more things. Don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast and check out what else I'm doing via my website, DarianDouglas.com. It would also be amazing if you checked out my Patreon page. I'll leave the link in the description. Later. <laughs>